Welcome to the Optimal Mindset. I'm your host, Johnny Taylor. I started this show because I am fascinated by human capabilities and performance. Why is it that certain people reach their potential and how does their mindset help them to succeed? I want to understand what are the tools, tactics and strategies high achievers use to optimize their mind and achieve greatness. In these episodes, we'll be speaking to some of my personal idols from sports and performance to discover the definition of an optimal mindset and how we can train our own minds to achieve our biggest dreams. Please follow the show on Instagram and be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so we can share out the inspiring messages within each episode with a wider audience. Remember, train your mind, optimize your life. Welcome to the show. Today, my guest is Nita Sweeney. Thank you for joining us today, Nita. Nita is a mental health advocate, a meditation teacher, and a passionate runner, as well as an award-winning author. In her book, Depression Hates a Moving Target, How Running with My Dog Brought Me Back from the Brink, she shares her raw and transformative journey of how running changed her life. Nita's vulnerability and inspiring mindset is something I can't wait to find more about, and I can't wait to dive in in today's episode. So, to dive in, could you tell us a little bit more about the book, and then what inspired you to start running with your dog? Well, the book is a running and mental health memoir. It's kind of a couch to long distance runner story. Story, And I was in a really dark place. I have um, bipolar disorder and I've had chronic depression, which is a symptom most of my life. Um, but after just a really bad period where a whole bunch of people died essentially what happened and then my niece's cat also died my niece died my mother died my father-in-law it was crazy so i so that with that that is the backdrop i'm sitting on the sofa probably eating bonbons i'm not sure uh some kind of you know food i shouldn't be and i saw the social media post of a friend who said call me crazy but this running is getting to be fun and i thought we needed to do a wellness check on her because the words run and fun did not go together in my vocabulary but i watched her and i always tell people never assume that that nobody's paying attention you never know who you're inspiring because she had no clue i was in a dark place or that i was watching her and as she continued to um run you know to do she was doing an interval training plan called couch to 5k and as she continued that I just noticed that she seemed to be indeed having fun and that it didn't look that hard. And so um, I looked it up one day, it said 60 seconds of jogging, which seemed doable, 60 seconds, I think I can do that. And uh, I took the dog down into this hidden ravine area where nobody could see me because I was just, I'm paranoid. I'm just a little paranoid about what people think. I still have that. I mean, it's much better, much, much better. But, um, and then I set a digital kitchen timer for 60 seconds and we jogged and I didn't die. And I know that sounds ridiculous to anybody who's run long distances, but at that point in my life, just doing those small things, it was more than 60 seconds. It was actually a 20 minute plan where you walked a while and then kind of did, you know, run, walk, run, and then walked more. But I did the whole thing. And that was one of the first things that I had tried to do and had actually done in a long time. And so it felt like a huge success. It just felt, um, you know, a big, big deal. And that's how it started. And then I caught the bug. I mean, that's it's just sort of the thing where it just felt as if this was the thing that was missing. And I had a lot of other tools, but I didn't have a movement form that fed so many parts of my life that that you know that just filled a need I didn't even know I had so that's kind of the beginning story and then the book tells the whole story amazing and it's kind of like almost just what I when I was reading I was kind of thinking it's almost like you just you just started somewhere and I think people often kind of get overwhelmed by like the details right but sometimes you've just got to lace up your shoes and you just got to start which is which is really inspiring did you ever think that when you were on that first day of running the the kind of 30 second intervals did you, did you ever think that it would lead to like the marathons and the, and the kind of accomplishments that you've done today no not even close I mean I wouldn't I can't if I can't even think about it hardly because I was just 
I was really just trying to save my own life. I mean, it sounds dramatic, but that's what it felt like. I just, I, I, something had to change because I just was at that kind of jumping off place. And no. So the short, I give long answers to short questions. No is the answer. No. <laughs> mm. so, how, how, so how do you think that um, kind of running has helped with you to kind of overcome and, and manage depression? What do you think the relationship is between running and depression? And, and why do you think it's helped you so much? Well, in hindsight, it's, um, it's biochemical. I mean, you're actually creating, uh, I call them happy brain chemicals in bathing your brain in these happy chemicals. I mean, you're actually doing that. It's not, there's science, but at the time it just felt as if I was doing something I said I would do. It was that simple. It, I mean, in some ways it could have been dusting the furniture and I, oh wait, Nita actually did something. She said she was going to do because I was so depressed that I, I, I say that People who loved me put me in a little basket and were just carrying me around. I mean, that's what it felt like. I just wasn't hardly able to function and um, and had contemplated suicide. I'd, I'd been very close to suicide many years before, but had been sort of managing, not thriving, but managing. And um, and so so the happy brain chemicals and then um, the, the achievement kind of bit, even though it's a tiny achievement. And then I... Um, after the first couple of sessions, when I realized that I might continue, I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell my husband even, who's my you know best, best friend. I didn't tell my sister. And after a few sessions, when I realized I was probably going to at least continue, I printed out the plan and taped it on the side of my bookcase. And then when I came back, I would make a little check mark. And that check mark was a dopamine hit, I found out later. I mean, I was, again after I had done the thing was giving myself another little, a little, um, perk by just making that tiny little check mark. Eventually I joined with other people. First I did it online where I could be kind of anonymous. Eventually when I wanted to do longer distances and knew I'd need support, I, um, joined a group and then I had camaraderie. I had fellowship. I had, um, you know, people that talk your language that, uh, they, you're running along and you're talking about shoes and races and gear and all that stuff and uh, aches and pains and different things. And so I had these different components. And now I know that it was sort of the whole package for me because different people need different things. Uh, some people need competition. Some people need a, a physical challenge or, a you know, uh, to sort of show that they can do a thing. They need the grit of it. And so for me, it was just... Um, it was just these tiny little achievements. That's the, that's the thing. I'm kind of a high achievement person and, and that, that, that's what did it. And then the fellowship. Uh, oh, one other thing, structure. So, um, after a little while I got brave and told both my husband and my sister and my sister, um, my niece who died, it was my sister's only child. And so when she found out I was running, she said, oh, there's this 5k for, um, to raise funds for the type of cancer that my niece Jamie had died from. And I was so, I was still so uh, shy about it all and a bit self-centered and I call it self-centered, but it's really self-protective that I said, oh no, 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 I'm a private runner. I can't, no, no, I can't do that. And then I had, to, you know, I kind of got over myself after a while. I thought about, wait a minute, Jamie went through so much, you really could do this. And then I got, so then I had something to train toward. I had the structure of the plan and then this event that was pulling me toward it, because we, we hear sometimes that we need to push ourselves. I need to be pulled. I'm, I'm not I, I'm not good at pushing myself. My you know, hand doesn't reach back like that very well. Um, so having that race uh, pulled me toward it and then another race and then another race, you know, having that as the structure. So I'm, I always do better when I have a race on the calendar, just whether I end up doing the race or not, just something to kind of work toward. So for me, running has all those components. So for somebody else, it might be pickleball. It might be, I don't know, you know, it could be a disc golf. It could be a lot of different things, but that was that those different um, angles, it, it sort of um, it opened lots of different doors for me and, and gave me benefits in a lot of different areas. And I think that's why 
it made such a big change because I ended up being on fewer meds, which I'm not sure I talked about that in the book because I'm not sure that happened until later on. Um, but I um, had been on a lot of medications, which had made it difficult for me to do a lot of things that kept me alive and I needed them at the time. But I um, started having side effects of being on too, too much medication without any of the medications changing. And so gradually my psychiatrist peeled them back um, so that I could be on the proper amount. And I still take medication, very small dose, but I still do. And then I, um, you know, just in general, my mood was better. I was able to write more often. I was able to finish projects that I started. I, I just, I just had more energy. I had used to nap almost every day and I no longer really needed, I mean, I'd need a nap maybe after a long run, but not on just a regular day. And that was a big change too. So it really, I mean, I, it, uh, people say I'm being dramatic sometimes, but it changed my life. It really, I mean, I think my friend with her little social media post call me crazy. Um, I think she saved my life because I was not, I was headed in a very bad place. Uh, I mean, yeah, thank you so much. That's, that's just so powerful. And I think the thing that really strikes me about you is just how vulnerable and how like real you are, right? Like it must be really hard for you I mean, I'm going to ask this, we're going to talk about this later, but is it really hard for you to, or it must be really hard for you to share this, right, with, within your book and in your writing, you know, the the process that you've been through, being that raw, is that something that's challenging? No. That's okay. Just me. That's just me. I tend to just be sort of a person who um, puts it all out there. What was hard, It what's hard is when people criticize the book and I, and it's not their criticism. It's when I feel like they're criticizing me for what I did, but they're not They're It's either they wanted something different in the book or they wanted um, maybe even more than what I said, because there's always more. There's always, you know, um, the part you because books are uh, books are finite objects. And my publisher did not want this to be a trilogy or a 600 page book. And it definitely started out kind of that way. So you have to choose what to cut. And, um, and there are places where I could have explained a little more. The one thing um, before we started, um, got on the air here, got recording, um, we, I, I mentioned meditation. And that's something I wish I had gone into a little more depth because I think it, it meditation for me, I'd been meditating for so long that it was sort of like a fish who doesn't see water or how you know we breathe air and don't really see the air. And meditation was like that for me. And so it didn't. Um, the fact that I was used to doing things that were difficult and, and that I knew how to just keep going or just stay in is not a skill everybody has. Um, and so, uh, so that's part of it that I think, um, it's kind of hard when people say, well, she doesn't explain really, you know, and I do actually explain it, but they just don't see it. And so I get this kind of wincy thing. That, so that's the hard part. The hard part's been after it was published and just having people say, but mostly, I mean, the reception is, uh, I would say it's 99% very positive and I, um, people thank me and I didn't, you know, I don't write, I don't write to save the world, but if that happens, then hallelujah, you know, I mean, I'm just, um, if I can help anybody have a better life, um, as a result of my experience, that's, that just brings me so much joy. So, so yeah, it's, a, it's a, being a writer is just like that. You probably get that with podcasting where people <laughs> like it or they don't. And that, you know, and that's more the thing with me that is, um, I just want to be real and, and tell the truth. No, it definitely comes across across in the way that you write and the way that you speak. So yeah, we really appreciate that. Could you um, maybe you could share a bit more about some of the meditation that you do and kind of did you find that the, that having these meditative practices because this is something that I'm really interested in. Did does that help you with your running? Did you find there was like a link between the two, or maybe you could just tell the audience how that how that might look for you? Yes, I didn't realize it when I first started running. I, again, I was so used to meditating. I'd been meditating for, I don't know, maybe 15 years. My husband introduced me when we were dating. And um, I do mindfulness practice. It's also called Vipassana or insight practice. Um, it's from the Theravada tradition, but I'm not really in that tradition. And, and all of that is gobbledygook if you're not 
familiar with it. So basically, you just need to know that my goal in meditation is to have my mind where my body is. So be in the present moment, live in the now. And I do that by noticing my thoughts and my body sensations, mostly body sensations, because thoughts are sticky and they um, uh, can be difficult to work with. You have to develop a lot of focus and concentration um, skill before it's easier to work with thoughts. So, um, so I pretty quickly, especially once I was running longer distances, more than three or four miles, I realized that in the long stretches where it seemed boring, I could just notice the color green. And anytime my mind wandered, I could very gently bring my mind, my thoughts back to noticing the color green. And that's one of the body vision is considered a body sensation in um, the type of meditation I practice. Uh, smell, scent, um, well, smell is scent, I'm sorry, hearing, uh, taste, which we do uh, eating meditation sometimes. And then also the sense of touch, which the breath or any, um, like my left foot hitting the ground. I sometimes I use that. But any of those of your senses, essentially your five senses, you can use as a body sensation. And so I pick one and then I choose how long or whether it's a distance or time I'm going to meditate for. So it doesn't, my brain doesn't go, oh my gosh, she's going to make, make us do this the whole time. Because even after meditating now for, you know, 25 years, I still have those days where my, my brain goes freaks out about the idea of doing anything for a very long time and then we do it it's just weird but that's you know i mean i'll be running along and my brain will say oh my gosh you're gonna kill yourself with running and i'm and you run three ultra marathons three full marathons 23 half me you know i just go through the list i'm like honey we're okay it's okay just give me a minute we're okay um and so that's what i do with the meditation is i just gently bring my mind back to whether it's the color green and um, and I'll just say, we're only going to do this for a mile. We're only going to do this for half a mile, whatever. But what I've chosen. So it's what I've chosen as opposed to, you know, letting that um, anxious, um, I don't want to say lazy. It's more anxious part of me uh, be in control all the time. And it's not about quieting my thoughts at all. I'm still thinking about, you know, what I'm supposed to be doing on the next book or what we're, um, what, what we need from the grocery or, I mean, that, that still pops up, but then I go, Oh, that's right. I remember. Oh, that's right. We're meditating. Okay. Back to the color green to whatever I've chosen. So that's, um, once I started being able to do that or realizing that I could do that, um, it made running long distances much easier because it was no longer boring. It became a much more interesting kind of project of how, uh, how can I, how much, you know, how much of the time can I actually be noticing the, the shapes of all these green leaves and, and the different shades of the color green and, and, uh, or, you know, that may sound really boring to somebody else, but you pick the thing that interests you. One time during Halloween, um, <clears throat> I counted the number of pumpkins I saw on people's porches. I was running through our suburban neighborhood and I counted so every time I'd see a pumpkin, I would count and then I would lose count and I'd start back at one. Okay. Well, I have no idea what number I was on. Let's start back at one. And then I, it was very cool because I saw all these pumpkins that were really cool. A lot of them decorated and I saw people on their porches and I would wave at them and it just made the run so much more interesting. And that's a form of meditation practice. That's a, a way to develop focus and calm and concentration also. Oh, that's, that's, that's amazing. I've never really, I've never really had anyone do anything like that because often when we run, right, we think it's about like pushing and like challenging ourselves, but we're never like often, we don't really think about being more present, right? Which do you find that that helps you? I mean, obviously with the meditation practice as well, do you find that that then translates into everyday life? Like all the other stuff that you do as well? Oh yes. Especially the concentration that helps so much. I, um, I had tried to write, Oh, I think I had maybe eight or nine books, full, you know, full first drafts that I had worked on over the years, but I had never been able to kind of cross the finish line, piece <laughs> of analogy there, with the book, with a book. And I even had one that felt pretty close to done, but I couldn't, um, I couldn't do all the things that were necessary to sell it. I would pitch a few agents and then get rejections and. Um, that would just exhaust me and I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't push through or I couldn't, 
um, it wasn't, it just wasn't enough. I just didn't have the, it's really stamina is what it feels like that running has really helped with stamina. And, and so, um, so yeah, this has been, it just really has changed everything. The, the biggest thing, it was so funny because at first people would ask me things like, did you get a haircut? And they, they knew something was different, but they didn't know what, and I hadn't told anybody. Um, I, like I said, eventually told my husband and my sister, but I hadn't really told anybody else. I didn't sort of come out of the running closet, so to speak. And, um, for a while until I really, until I convinced myself that I would continue because that was the, that was the biggest thing is I had disappointed myself so many times with trying whether it was exercise or taking a writing class or, you know, and, and lots and lots of things where I would just, um, uh, just abandon it because I didn't have the energy to continue. And so, um, so when I started realizing that this was going to stick and noticing, oh my gosh, you're, you're finishing some writing things and you have more energy that, uh, that was just huge for me. That was huge. So I, and for me, it, it, you know, the meditation ties into it all because it's, um, it's the ability to be with both happiness and difficulty, or, you know, we call it pleasant or unpleasant thoughts and body sensations, not to wallow in them, but also to not need for them to go away in order for us to be okay. Um, nothing wrong with, if you can make them go away, great. But for me, the day always came where the negative negativity would just stay. And I, um, would try to make it go away. I try all, you know, sorts of different things. And, and, um, and I kept, I just always thought there was something wrong with me, which there was, it was depression, but I just kept thinking there was something, you know, I was, I was just lazy or I wasn't smart enough, or I didn't want it bad enough. That was the other thing I heard. You just don't want it bad enough. Well, I wanted it bad enough. <laughs> I just was chronically depressed. I mean, they're just, you just, um, I, there's nothing else to say. So the combination for me, the, it's like a trifecta. There's the movement, the meditation, and then I also use writing as a practice in addition to trying to publish. I write, I, um, some people call it journaling. I call it writing practice because I, that's how I learned it from a, a woman who, who teaches uh, Zen, kind of a Zen style of writing, Natalie Goldberg. And, uh, so when I have that trifecta going, when I have a good running routine, when I have a regular meditation practice, whether it's while I'm running or sitting on a cushion, I sit on a chair sometimes, you know, um, or, um, going to retreat sometimes, but that, and then that regular practice of sort of downloading my thoughts onto paper, those, that's my trifecta. Those are the three things I call it my three tools to, you know, for a healthier, happier mind. Ah, that's awesome. I definitely think uh, people can take something away away from that. That's that's really cool. How, so just to go back on that, how what would that journaling or what would that you call it writing? What would that look like if you were to practically explain that to someone? Like, what would you physically do? Yeah. So I um, you, I prefer to write in a spiral notebook with a like a, a, a gel pen, a pen that Natalie calls them fast writing pen, so it doesn't drag. So not a pencil, probably, and not even a ballpoint because they're probably not fast enough. But um, and then set a timer, just like I set that timer in the ravine for five minutes, 10 minutes. Um, I post on uh, social media every day a topic and there are things like I remember or um, a time it was different or something that will spark a memory, maybe, or um, help you drop into um just a, a place within yourself and then you just hit the timer go and you keep your hand moving for the entire 10 minutes again this is a technique i learned from natalie goldberg her um book writing down the bones was a revolutionary writing book back in the uh, 80s and it really changed the way a lot of people wrote and she didn't mean it as therapy. <laughs> she writes, you know, she's on her 16th book. I think she just got a big contract. And, um, uh, but it is therapeutic just by doing that. And that is also how I write all my first drafts too. And that doesn't work for everybody. Some people need to outline. Some people need to you know, think about it for a long time. I'm better if I just dive in. So for that 10 minutes, I keep my hand moving. Don't cross out. Don't worry about grammar, punctuation, you know, even the lines on the page. Sometimes if I get really stuck, I'll turn the notebook sideways and write across the lines just to break out of that um, 
kind of container my mind is in, that sort of stuck place my mind is in. And yeah, mostly it's it's just me whining about my life sometimes. Um, but what's interesting is is part of the practice is going back and rereading your notebooks. And so when you um, when you do that and you catch yourself whining, then the next time I go to do writing practice and I start whining, I think, oh gosh, I have to write, I have to reread this. Maybe I ought to just you know catch some sensory details and write down. I'll just write about what's around me. That's much more interesting than me whining. And that process of um, just putting it down on the page. Sometimes I'll ask myself questions as I'm writing. Um, what I really want to say is, or what do you really want to say? Or what do you, what do you really think about this? Or what are you really feeling? I'll ask myself questions, almost like, almost like I'm a therapist or something. I've had enough therapy to know the questions, but, um, uh, but yeah, so that's what the writing looks like. And the interesting thing is how that relates to running is I keep a running log, which I find very helpful because I can look back and see, um, you know, if I'm making progress or just, just looking back and seeing, wow, that's a lot of, entries, just even that, that's a lot of entries, which means you've done a lot of running. Um, but in that, there's, a, I think right now I use Strava and they have private notes, but you can do it in a physical journal. Um, and so I'll write about um, all the dogs I saw in my neighborhood on the run, or, um, you know, sometimes we see deer or different wild, wild animals, not, um, we even had a coyote once, but um, you know, we'll see different things. So I'll notice that, or if I have any aches and pains, I'll just jot those down. So I'll try to remember what to do with those later. And, um, and ultimately it'll wind up, um, I'll talk about how, oh, I really didn't want to go and I wasn't sure I should go and it was raining and blah, blah, blah. And by the end I'll be saying, and man, I'm so glad I went. And, and that just does, again, bathes my brain in happy brain chemicals. And there's a lot of science behind that too, about the, the benefits, especially of writing by hand. But even if you do it, even if you type it, it's still beneficial. Amazing. Yeah, that's such a cool idea. Something again, that I've never really come across. So it almost sounds like the work that you're, or the running that you're doing is, is kind of almost meditative as well in the process of you doing it right which is which is which is really cool so um if you could take yourself back to maybe starting to run i know earlier you mentioned maybe you've kind of started to run and then you quit and then you started to run then you quit if you could maybe give someone some advice about who maybe was intimidated or who maybe was um not sure where to begin what advice would you give someone who was at that starting journey of yours when you started to run and you successfully continued to make progress? What would be like the, the key thing that you would say to them? Well, the training plan was key for me. And the one I used was called couch to 5k. And then I had to break it up because even that was too much. Um, but find some kind of structure that helps you have a few little successes so that you're starting out slow and easy. This is actually not a race. You don't have to win it. The only thing you have to do is continue. And, and I think so many people who say, oh, I hate running. It's because they're running too fast. Because most of my training runs are a minute to a minute and a half, sometimes two minutes slower than my um, very not fast race pace. But uh, so it, 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 you know, feels like running, looks like walking a lot of the time. And so just let yourself go easy. Let yourself, let this be something you're playing with and experimenting with. So that's, that would be for a personality type like me. That's what I needed. I need gentle, easy, um, calm. And then I go out and run 31 miles after about, you know, seven years. <laughs> you don't do that on the first day. You go, you know, 60 seconds of jogging and then 60 seconds of walking and you do it easy with your dog in a <clears throat> ravine where nobody can see. Um, but somebody else might need to um, make a bet with their friend. Hey, I bet you can't train for this 5k. Um, I, you know, put some money on the line or something. Like that. I mean, figure out what you need. Um, I'm also, like I said, high achievement. And so I needed the little, um, um, thing, the little, um, printout of the training plan so I can make little check marks on it and see those little check marks. Cause I, I just needed those little, like gold stars or something <laughs> and different people need different things. Uh, some people love the math. They love the geeky, uh, you know, so get a, get a, um, get a cheap watch or get a fancy watch if you've got money. Um, but get a watch so that you can write down your, 
um, your times and your pace and all that kind of stuff if you like the geeky stuff. But find the thing about whether, and again, any movement form, but find the thing that about that particular thing that brings you the most joy and then lean hard into that but be easy on your body because you want to do this for a long time and people get injured by going too fast too quickly uh ramping up too quickly and it doesn't have to be that way at all because it's sort of like when you read a book um that's not the first draft you're seeing the 27th draft so when you see somebody on TV running or you see, you know, the Boston Marathon or <clears throat> uh, London Marathon or any of these big races, those people have trained. Some of them have trained for years. Some of them have trained, <clears throat> excuse me, for nine months to get to that place. Most of them have been running for years. <clears throat> excuse me. Hang on a second. I'm going to take a quick drink because we're yeah, no. my... <clears throat> excuse me. No problem. No problem. Yeah, go for it. So that's, that's the thing is just go... Go in easier than you think you need to. Go slower than you think you need to um, and easier than you think you need to. And if you're a social person, find a community. Oh, my gosh, there's so many. If you're a Facebook person, there's so many Facebook groups for various um, goals, various age groups, um, different races. I mean, almost every race has a Facebook group. Um, there's race series they have. And I'm big on races, not because I'm fast, because I'm not, but it's a structure. It's that thing that pulls me toward it. So, oh, that's the other thing I didn't mention. Um, some people are heart-centered people and they need a cause. So find a 5K that's six months or nine months from now, maybe, or even three months, depending on your, your fitness level. But find one that's a little bit out that is raises money for a cause that you just feel passionate about. And that will help. And then you'll... Uh, there's usually probably a Facebook group for it, and you can um, be with like-minded people who are interested in that same cause, and that will pull you, again, pull you toward the goal. So a part of it, I'm a big personality type person. I think we just, one size does not fit all. I mean, I'm not going to wear the same size shoes you wear. Why would I do the same training plan you do? You know, it's just sort of, um, uh, yeah, that's kind of one of my passions. Maybe a soapbox oh. even. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And I think... Yeah, we'll talk about this later about this idea of, of why people do certain behaviors. But I I do, I totally agree. I think that often, you know, what works for one person might not work for someone else. And that's okay. You've just got to find out what works for you and then kind of lean into that passion or the, lean into that purpose that you have. And that might be different from someone else, but, but that's totally okay, right? And I think that's a really, really good point that you've made. Um, So I love, and this is why I think you're all super, super inspiring for people around you, is often when we kind of think about like, training and we think about like mindset like we think about like the elite athletes and we think about like the olympians right but i think the fact that you know you've used running with your dog to overcome depression and you know to turn your life around that's completely inspiring in a different context and i think that's something that's so powerful and so and something that people can really take away so have you ever come across and i'm sure you have have you ever come across um you know someone maybe that read the book or someone that's worked with you and your story has kind of shifted their life and kind of could you if that has happened could you kind of share what their journey was like that i people reach out to me and that has been one of the most pleasant surprises in this whole publishing process <clears throat> excuse me i don't know what is going on with my voice sorry <clears throat> um so yeah people reach out and it's very um i always feel happy sad because that means uh, they've been in a rough place too, because it, I tend to not inspire people who aren't struggling. I mean, if they're not struggling, they don't, they may cheer me on. Some people do, but it's the people who are struggling that really they reach out. And so um, I had a, uh, the mother of a 17 year old boy who had been hospitalized a couple of times and just you know, was having trouble with the meds, was having trouble in school. And she reached out and we just talked about a, creating a very simple training plan where he just started by walking around the block and um, they did have a dog. And so they started together. She walked with him for a while. Again, he was 17. And, but he, um, I think he may have had some autistic or Asperger, some other neurodivergent kind of uh, challenges as well, but he definitely had depression. And, you know, I'd hear, I just said, 
just start real small. And we kind of made a, I don't know, maybe a three-week plan where he would just walk three times a week. And then eventually he started running. And now I think he's done a couple 5Ks and she would just stay in touch with me. Maybe every month or so, she'd just drop me a note. And, um, and you know, it's not magic. So it's not as if he got off all his meds or um, is a completely different person, but he's moving and he feels good about himself. He's He had been some of the meds cause weight gain. And so the movement helps with that a bit. So he's been able to lose a little bit of weight. Um, he made some running friends. And those I hear those kinds of stories all the time because that's what the people that are in my running group have experienced too, where they just had a, hit a bump in the road and then they you know, decided to take this up. I mean, some of them have been running forever. They were track, track, you know, athletes or were in uh, cross country or whatever when they were in school. But a lot of them just in middle life, especially. Um, so I hear a lot from women um, uh, who are in their 40s, maybe in their 50s and feel very lost. And so they take up running or cycling or um, pickleball is a big thing here in the United States. I don't know if it is if it's made its way to where you are yet, but it's a big it, it, thing. <laughs> yeah. And uh, but they take up some kind of movement form, and then they figure out how um, either to meditate while they're doing it, or they find a group that gives them fellowship. And yeah, so it's it's it. I mean, I cannot tell you. Um, it's really nice to get paid for your books. <laughs> That's really nice. But when somebody sends you a note that says you changed my life, it just doesn't get much better than that. I mean, that's and that's what that's what has happened. And I didn't I didn't see that coming. I didn't think about that. That wasn't my plan. I just wanted to tell my story, to have a traditional publishing company um, pick it as one they were going to publish. And that was my very achiever kind of goal with the book. And it's been so much more. I mean, it's been, I couldn't, I could not have imagined how, um, warmly it has been received. So yeah, that, that happens. Oh, that's incredible. Time. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. And... Just like you reaching out to me, John, I'm just like you reaching out to me, just sort of, wow. Yes. Yes. When can we, when can we record? I'm in, I'm in. <laughs> yeah. I definitely feel, uh, having read the book and reaching out to you, I definitely feel, a little bit in awe of just the fact that you've come on the show and you're willing to chat with us and and really truly grateful that that you've been willing to share your journey because I read the book and I was just like I was moved from reading it and and so I think everyone listening to this show should definitely read it and and it's definitely and I love the fact that you didn't expect the kind of the the end result to be people reaching out and telling you how they've changed your lives but that was almost like something that almost moves you to tears right and and that's super inspiring so so thank you um so i know we touched on this earlier um uh in terms of my guests like one of the themes that kind of comes up is this idea of having a sense of purpose or a sense of a, a sense of like a deeper why if you had a a why for writing your books and you're running like what would you say would be your your why or your sense of purpose well, again, this is going to sound a bit self-centered. I call it self-preservation because I have had um, so many struggles. I mean, I, I was an attorney and I had to leave the practice of law because of my mental health. I've had uh, friends who just couldn't stay because of my mental health issues. I've had, um, long before I met Ed, I had relationships that just were horrible because of my mental health and, um, and bad choices. I made a lot of bad choices much earlier in my life. And so my reason for writing, whether it's this book or any book, is to keep myself alive, to keep myself, um, because there's something for me about putting my story down on paper that, um, I'm not sure if it validates it, but it's, it's, a, it's a process that I find healing. And again, I, my books are not supposed to be, well, my books are not therapy, but my writing is not supposed to be therapy, but it is therapeutic. And so... Um, so when I set out to write a book, it's often just from this urge inside me to get the story down, to get the story out. Um, I've written some really bad novels, which I hope will never see the light of day. I should really burn them. But, um, um, but again, I had this story that I just had to get out that was just sort of in my head. And then with the running, it's very similar. I, I started out... Yeah, part of me started out to lose weight because I'd gained so much weight on the medications. And um, 
you know, I'd look in the mirror and just did not recognize myself at all. And, um, but really it was because I was just so miserable and something had to change. And so the question was what? And, uh, and I'd been thinking about it for a while when I saw that friend's post and I didn't follow that plan right away. I had to watch her for a while. And then even after I looked up the training plan, I had to kind of keep watching her for a while and letting it ruminate. Um, because the part that the, you didn't ask me this question. I'm going to answer it anyway. <laughs> the part, yeah, go that ahead, I go don't, ahead. yeah, the seed, the part, I don't know how to give someone is the day when you stand up off the sofa and you walk down the hallway to your closet and you dig into the back for those awful, horrible, I think they were, they were their hiking boots or Velcro tennis shoes. I mean, I, that's all I had. Um, and you put those on and you leash up the dog and you go out the door. I don't know how that actually happens. I just got to a place where something had to give. It was just enough tension built up in my body, enough, um, you know, of watching her give me hope. The combination of those two things, it was going to go one way or the other. And so that day came where I, I stood up the, off the sofa, I put down the bonbons or whatever the heck I was probably eating, put down the computer and it left the house. And, um, um, and that's, that's the, that's always the confounding thing for me because people will come to me like the mother of that boy, or somebody will say my sister or my niece or my aunt or my, you know, my grandma, even some young person, my grandma. Um, and I don't, I don't know how to help them. All I can say is do everything to support them um, that you can, but it has to come from inside them. Ultimately, you can't, you cannot make somebody do it. You can bribe them. You can say, Hey, I'm going to do this thing. Why don't we do it together? Or you can say, I mean, I wouldn't suggest paying your children to run, but, you know, <laughs> um, but, uh, but, you know, you can say, Hey, I'll dare you. It, it just, whatever, it, it, again, goes to go back to personality types. And, uh, uh, so what would, I don't even know what your original question was. This, I go around in circles. Sorry, but, uh, but yeah, no, I you're good. make that point though, because I get asked that a lot. How do I help somebody else? You support them, you support them. You may offer suggestions, not too many. Because often when somebody's depressed, they get overwhelmed really easily. Something that you would never think would overwhelm a person can just send them to the nap room, you know. Um, so, uh, uh, yeah, support them. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I really like the fact that you kind of said people, you almost need to let them make up their own mind, right? They need to figure it out and they need to do it for themselves, right? Like it's, a, it's you can't force someone else to change, which is which is an, uh, an interesting point. So. This podcast is all about um, kind of what is an optimal mindset. So what would be your definition of an optimal mindset? It would be an open mind, curious, um, with as little judgment as possible, so that when um, you're three quarters of the way through whatever the workout is or the race, and you hit that kind of yeah, I wish this was over, but you still got to get back to your car kind of, or back to your house or wherever place. Um, uh, you don't just stop, you know, and call Uber. You, <laughs> you are calling, you know, call a friend to pick you up. Um, so that open-mindedness, curious in meditation, we call it equanimity. It's a place where you can be with exactly what is. You may not like it. You don't have to like it, but it doesn't um, make you suffer. You can notice it, let it go. Notice how it will pass even within um, within a moment. It'll pass and then come back and then pass. Very few things are solid. Um, in fact, I'm not sure anything's actually solid. Everything changes. So that's, yeah, the open awareness, kind of calm mindset, which you can't force because that's the opposite of it. But you can train through um, meditative practices. And I think running... Meditation is actually kind of a natural mind state. We actually fall into it from time to time. We may not realize it. Um, it's sort of like flow. There's a lot of overlap, and I don't know the exact science between flow and meditation. There's you know different definitions for all of it. But that place where, okay, this kind of hurts, and I'm okay. 
or wow, this is amazing, but I, and I know it's going to go away and that's okay, but I'm just going to be with it while it's amazing. You know, that, that's the mindset that for me is the optimal mindset for pretty much everything. And with running, it's really helpful. Uh, what a cool definition. Yeah. I love that. Magic. So, um, obviously you have your books so you can mention these as well but i'm wondering if you have any favorite transformational books or any resources um that you used that would change or maybe change your perception of life like do you have any books that you would recommend to people to to read that you could give absolutely born to run is a phenomenal book whether or not you are running my running club or my running club my book club actually recommended it to me and they're not runners um and they and we loved it it reads like a novel it's kind of a mystery it's about um the tara uh, umara people in mexico and this crazy guy from colorado who this other guy is trying to find and can't and i mean really just it's a page turner and there's a lot of science in it about um why people run and why people might want to run uh there's stuff about the shoe industry i mean it's just it's just a very complex wonderful book so born to run is probably my number one and then my second one would be chi running and um that's because that method of um working on your form when you run because people don't think about oh you just go run well actually there are form aspects to running and so chi running and that whole um idea of gradual progress where we don't we try to do less harm to the body while we're doing strenuous activity so those are probably the two um that come to mind there's a ton i actually have i think on my blog i have a whole list of you know 30 or 40 books that i just love that are specifically about running and there's some writing ones and some meditation oh, ones, you know <laughs> oh, cool well we can link to that in the show notes as well uh, after this conversation so we can add that yeah I've, I've read born to run and i think one of my other guests said that was their top book to read Who, who's chi running who's that written by oh danny dreyer d-r-e-y-e-r danny dreyer and he's um an american uh primarily trail runner but he studied tai chi and he integrated Tai Chi principles into running form. And then he um, has different people that teach courses in it. And it's, uh, but it's about, you know, the way your foot lands on the ground um, and just running while you're doing this strenuous activity, doing it with as much ease as possible. So we, you talked much earlier about people thinking they have to, you know, kind of grid it out or, uh, push themselves and things like that and he's very much the opposite you let your body he calls running a uh, controlled fall that each step is a controlled fall because you're, you're kind of leaning forward and catching yourself as you fall again and again and again mm, i love that awesome so last question um and that we've actually kind of this has been embedded throughout the conversation so feel free to kind of go back to some of the stuff that you mentioned before. But if you were to give someone three actionable things that they could do to maybe develop a more optimal mindset, what would be the three things that you would tell them to do or what would you encourage them to do? Well, the first thing is meditate. I really, I really think that's the ultimate brain brain hack. I mean, that is how you defrag your brain. And, uh, and for me, mindfulness is the one just real simple mindfulness practice. It does not have to be complicated. You do not have to go to India. You, you, know, don't, you really don't. I mean, teachers are great because they help you um, from going down side paths that lead you astray. But uh, just a simple practice of noticing your breath, counting your breath, or um, like I said, when you're out in the world, choosing something and just bring your mind back, bring your mind back to that. Uh, thing. So meditation. And then I'm going to just say my three because those are the ones for me. Um, and then movement, because you're bathing your brain in those happy brain chemicals by whatever the movement is that, you know, makes your heart sing. For me, it's running. Um, maybe it's cross-country skiing. I don't know, you know, um, but find a thing you can do on the regular that you feel um, you'll keep doing. You know, you can find a community that's best, too. And then some kind of writing it does not have to be formal at all it can be a bullet journal it can be 
you know, making lists, but someplace in it where you're um, accessing kind of a deeper part of your thought, because what happens is it bypasses the inner critic. So your mind says, oh, I can't write this down. You write it down anyway. You can burn it later. Um, and then, um, and then if you keep it, you can kind of see where you've come from. Um, but it, it, it's just a different way of getting happy brain chemicals. So yeah, those are my three, uh, movement, uh, writing and meditation. Oh, that's so cool. And I love how that's linked back to the, the conversation that we've had. I mean, just thank you for being such an insightful and, and such a, an inspiring guest. And I really, yeah, I feel like I've learned a lot and I know people listening will as well. So where could people find more information about you and, and kind of how could they learn more about your story and your journey? The best place is my website. Um, you know, I own that. Nobody else is going to kick me off it. So. <laughs> Nobody's going to throttle it or algorithm it. Um, and it's nitasweeney.com. It's just my name.com. And uh, there's some freebies on there too. There's, uh, you have to kind of sniff around for them. We need to make them a little more obvious. There's a free ebook called um, Three uh, Three Tools for a Happier, Healthier Mind. And you can probably guess what they are, but you can read a little more about them there. A little bit more about my story. Um, there's a body scan. There's a uh, infographic on meditation myths, uh, just different stuff that we hope will entice people. I have a I have a newsletter, and that's what I really like people to hop on. I uh, maybe once a month I send out an email. It's not a big salesy thing, although you will find out I've got a new book coming out in September, which I haven't um, haven't publicly announced yet. But all of that, the newsletter people, they're my inner circle. They get everything first. So there's a link on there. You can hop on my newsletter, or if you get any of the freebies, um, you can end up on the newsletter and you can unsubscribe anytime. I don't, it doesn't bother me at all. Uh, awesome. I'm all, we'll put links to these all in the show notes as well. So, so that people can access those. I just really wanted to, to thank you for giving up the time. Um, it's been a super, super insightful conversation and, and I just really appreciate you being so vulnerable and just being willing to share your story. So thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thanks for the opportunity to share this stuff because I just, like I said, anybody that I can touch, that just brings me so much joy. Anybody that, you know, can hear this and feel like they can make even a tiny, tiny change to help them stay on the planet. That's worth everything. So thanks for what you do too, Johnny. Thanks for this podcast and doing what you're doing. Appreciate it. Amazing. Thank you so much. All right. This has been the Optimal Mindset. Thank you for, for tuning into the show and joining in with the episodes. And we hope to see you again real soon. Take care, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into the Optimal Mindset podcast today. We are available on SoundCloud and on Spotify. I've included all of my information in the show notes for those who wish to find out more about our, our guests and upcoming episodes. Remember, train your mind, optimize your life.